Please turn in your New Testaments now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13. And this is the very word of God. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let's pray. Lord, would you open our hearts and minds now to this word and would you cause your love that leads to holiness to be at work in our lives through the gospel, through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now, in the interest of time, I would like to make a few observations about uh, verse 11, and then I'd like to get maybe to the main point that I'd really like to talk about. First, Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13 is, is really kind of a prayer. It's like a benediction, a blessing slash prayer uh, goes together that God may do something for them. And, and what it shows us is how God-centered Paul is and how he's trying to teach us that the, 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 the important things in our life have to have God's work, have to have a, a kind of God-centeredness. And not only does Paul say, now may God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, as he really launches into a kind of a lengthy description of names of God, not only is he God-centered, but uh, just parenthetically, Jesus is equal to God here. I don't know if you see that, but may they, the Father and Jesus, may they direct our path to be open. In other words, uh, people will say, well, yeah, there's God the Father and then and Jesus. No, God the Father and Jesus is who we're praying to that they together may direct. So uh, this idea that the doctrine of the Trinity was invented by Christians in the 200s A.D., that's not true. There are many places in the New Testament that show that Christ is equal with the Father. But also, it's a specific type of prayer. It's very God-centered. We're looking to God. It, it has to do with God the Father and His love, the God of grace, the one who rules over all. But it's very specific. You'll notice, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ open a way so that we can come see you. And may He strengthen in your hearts love that establishes holiness before the Father and before the coming of, of His Son, Jesus it's really important, I think, for us not only to, to say with our lives we need God and to, to talk to God, uh, knowing that God is the one who, to, who, is, um, who answers prayer, but also to be specific. I think some people are afraid to be specific in their prayers. I think they, some, they say something like this, hey, God, whatever your will is, that's cool. Well, that's, that's not a bad statement of faith because God's will is cool. But really the way the Bible teaches prayer is for us to actually pray to God for something. And look, if you can hold that loosely in your hands with faith and pray out of the desires of your hearts, 
being ready to hear God's answer to that prayer, whatever it may be, whether it be yes or no or not now or, or whatever it is, you know what? That's the way we should pray. This is what the Bible teaches. And I'll tell you something else. When we specifically pray for one another, for ourselves, you know, James says, you have not because you ask not. Yes, God is sovereign over all and gives us what we need, but somehow we have not because we ask not. And so we need to ask. We need to be specific. And when he answers the prayer, specifically when he answers something specifically, we are able to take that up and to see that and praise God rather than like I assume God's doing his holy will in my life, kind of a big picture thing. But I saw how God answered this prayer. So specific prayer actually brings a a, a higher kind of praise before the Lord. And I want to ask you, as Paul is praying very specifically and praying this blessing upon the Thessalonians, you know, are, are, are you one of these people that says, I need to talk to God. I can't live my life without God. I need to be God-centered in my life. And are you the type of person that says, you know what, let's hold it loosely. Let's have a real relationship with God, but let's pray it. Doesn't mean, you know, the, 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 the important thing is to pray in faith. It is not, the important thing is not getting what you want. The important thing is to acknowledge your need for God in God-centeredness, in specific praying. God will take care of the getting uh, of his, his will. I mean, this is the true adventure of prayer. Our lives are God-centered. We're not alone. We don't always have to be one step ahead of everybody. We can pray. And we, we don't have what we need. We ask for it. We look around and we realize that Christian friendships are built on prayer. We realize that, that you know, God is limitless. And I have friends who actually pray for me. That's huge. And they actually know me well enough to, to be able to pray specifically for things that are lacking in my life. And things that, that they know that I'm asking for God to, to be at work in my life and, and, in, and in your life. And we pray specifically and, and we're filled with anticipation that God indeed is good and, and will answer according to his will. But it is, it is this wonderful thing where God has somehow included us in the execution of his will through this thing called prayer. Isn't it amazing? And to not pray is literally to say you don't need God. All throughout the epistles, we see Paul being very God-centered, very much in need of God's work and God's power in his life. Okay, so we kind of start with this whole blessing benediction thing, with this God-centeredness and specificness of prayer. But I want to get to the main point that I'd like to talk about this morning that kind of comes out of that God-centeredness. And that is Paul's prayer for love and holiness to grow together in the lives of the Thessalonians. Love and holiness to grow together in their lives. Verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. This prayer is nothing less than Paul praying for a kind of what we might call a flood stage of love in their lives, the love of God pouring over their lives in the church where God's love is just beautiful and abundant in the church and so 
so much of God's love being experienced that it begins to pour over into the world. Uh, these, these two words, to increase and abound, literally mean for love to grow exponentially and to, here's the word, superabound, to just like break out like a flood. You know how like a flood begins to um, flood people's yards and the, the riverbanks or the, the reservoir or whatever it breaks out can't hold it? Then it goes into people's houses. I mean, there's nothing like a flood to see like the ubiquity of, of this and it's damaging and it's horrible to be a part of a flood and you you know you feel like I, I just you know this is changing my life while it's happening that's that's kind of the picture here that this is a good flood and you gotta understand this is a very small group of people this brand new little church this group of people that responded to the gospel in the city of Thessalonica 200,000 people in the city of Thessalonica little bitty church Paul says, I'm praying for flood stage effect of God's love in your life, flooding over God's love in his church, God's love pouring out of his church into the world. And he fully anticipated that this little church would have an amazing effect. And it did. And you know why? Because people desperately, and they still do, you do, I do. People desperately still need real love. And they can spot it from 10 miles away. And when it's real, it's, it's kind of unlike anything else they touch in their lives. And it, it just kind of marks you. And, and it is very special. And I love what Paul says. He says, may, may this love come at flood stage to you and, and out of the church and to all and then he adds, just as we do for you, this is how much we love you. Our love is for you is uncontained. It's a wonderful picture of the church in kind of the abundance of what we need and crave the most. Where do we go for love? We go to Christ who has loved us through what he has done for us. We go to the people of Christ now, you and I know that we, as the people of Christ, who've put our trust in Jesus, it's not our love isn't always at flood stage. And sometimes we can be very deficient, and I can be very deficient in that love. And that is why this, as a form of prayer, is very important. Because this kind of love, it's the word agape, this kind of love really does not come naturally to us. The word agape means self-sacrificing love. Maybe you could see it this way. It's kind of, instead of taking care of myself and everybody takes care of me, it's out of me toward you. It's the kind of other-centered love that is amazingly, rec you know, easily recognized when you see it. Agape, self-sacrificing love, does not come naturally. In fact, it only comes from God. And you want the best definition of love? I think maybe the easiest definition of love is this. God so loved the world that he gave. You see, there's the model. God gave his only son. This is love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. 
the love of God just overflowed the banks of heaven, so to speak, just washed away the curse, washed away just unstoppable power of his self-sacrificial love through the cross. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, This does not come naturally to us, and that's why we must pray for it. Otherwise, what we're going to find is we're going to find ourselves in God's church doing ministry, in quotes, in our own strength. You know, trying to just find the right thing and do it. Go on to the next thing, the right thing. And you know what? That is kind of where futility starts setting in. That's where frustration starts setting in. Because a lot of times we're just doing it because we want to do it for us. And sometimes it's really not like God's love in us. And we, we're doing this because, oh man, God loves me and I want to do that. And I'll even sacrifice myself for you. This is Christian love. This is Jesus love to be able to do this. And so the faith, our lives are really about him and his power and not ours. And frankly, I personally, and I'm sure you do too, I forget that sometimes. I forget that sometimes, but I tell you, when I remember it, I take great comfort in it because what it's saying is, is I'm, I, I, I will never have resident within me the love necessary to love the people that God has given me in my family, God has given me in my church family and in the world to love them well, that God's got to give this. Now, on the one hand, you say, okay, God's got to give it. Is God going to show up? Yes! God wants to love you through his son. God wants to love his church to, to overflow with, with, with giving love in his church. This is the will of God for his church. God wants to overflow the banks of his church with love. But why I'm so comforted is, is, you know, I can't do this. God's got to do it. And I can pray just like Paul. And I can pray for you as well as myself. God's got to do it. That's kind of like less pressure on me. It turns into more worship of God, more seeking of God. It's that it's kind of back to that God-centered thing. I can't do it. That's why I go to God the Father, you know, the loving Father and, and Jesus Christ, the Savior, our Lord. And I live in this kind of situation where it's got to be centered on God rather than myself. I've already talked about the, um, the true adventure of prayer, being God-centeredness and praying specifically. Well, this is the true adventure of life, being open to love. It's being open, receiving God's love, being open to love, willing to love other people. Willing to lift our heads and say, okay, God, I, I, I would come out of myself toward another person. You've got to help me to do that. Because there is where we find the meaning of, the very meaning of God's love. This is where we find human experience to its top is acting out in real life the very love of Jesus for us. Nothing is more meaningful than the love of God that comes through the cross and all the truth that comes with it and to be able in our actual lives to love someone else with the very love of Jesus. It is powerful. It's unstoppable. That's why people can spot it from from 10 miles away. 
And then, you know, there's the idea of, of prayer and God-centeredness being specific. There's, there's this idea of praying for, to be filled to flood stage with love. And then finally, Paul's prayer that God would give them love that leads to holiness, that leads to what he calls blamelessness and holiness. Do you see that? Verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound, flood stage, in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that, you see that in verse 13, so that, this is kind of continuing, for this purpose, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints or his holy ones. Maybe we could put it this way. The, the basic idea is when real love from Jesus grows, holiness grows. When Jesus' love becomes more a functioning part of our lives, we become more like Jesus. It's very exciting because sometimes we have a tendency to separate holiness and love and, and God is putting them together and they should be together in this passage. Uh, in, for, in fact, 1 Peter 1.7 and Colossians 3.13 both have a list of kind of what a holy life looks like. And, you know, it looks like this, it looks like this, it looks like this. And in Colossians 3.14 it says, and, and on, on all of these put on love. And 2 Peter uh, 2 uh, excuse me, One seven says this, and, and over all these is love. And that's kind of exciting because it's saying that Christ's love functioning in our lives makes us more like Christ, which makes us more loving. It's kind of this wonderful building cycle where, where love only increases as we grow closer to God. I think it's very, very important because... Today, for some reason, I'm not sure why, we kind of pit holiness in a way against love like, like truth and love, godliness and love. I mean, people, not us, not us, people, people even say, not us, that, oh yeah, the, the God, in the, God in the Old Testament was holy and God in the New Testament is a God of love. You ever heard that? Like God's holy, separate, other, austere, unapproachable, and like zapping people all over the place in the Old Testament. And he's just oozing with love in the New Testament. That's ridiculous. God is three times holy in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And God's love is a holy love in both Testaments. Uh, some people kind of imagine that holiness is something very austere, staunch, godly. When you think of somebody who's godly, you know, again, we start tack tacting to this like, oh, you know, they're godly. That means, you know, they're no fun. They're kind of austere. They're godly. Like holiness and love would be almost separated. And then like love is some ooey gooey, warm and fuzzy kind of thing over here. And we say, crazy things like this where we we must balance holiness with love 
please never balance holiness with love. God's love is holy love. I mean, you don't balance two things that, that are the same thing. There is no love from God that is not holy love, and there is no holiness from God that is not love. This passage is saying these two go together, and I pray that love would overflow the banks in your life, in your church, to all, and that so that your hearts would be established in blamelessness and holiness before God the Father and Jesus at his return. Do you know why we know for certain that in the New Testament, God's love is holy love? Because God's love is shown most directly, most prominently at the cross. You do understand the cross is not, not just like God like spreading good things to sinners. The whole purpose of the love of God at the cross is the holiness of God. Do you know, do you know how God, how serious God is about sin because he's holy? He never makes deals. The, the guilty will by no means go unpunished. That's what the, the, the Old Testament says right there at the Ten Commandments. God is so serious about sin because he is holy that he killed his own son for you. That, that his own son, because it's holy love, took our sin upon him and was punished fully, took the wrath of God for me. That is the love of God. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Isn't that amazing? This isn't like austere versus ooey-gooey. This is a self-sacrificing love because God is holy. And I'll tell you, for us to understand love, we must understand the cross. There is no understanding of love without understanding the holiness of God. There is no relationship with God whatsoever without understanding that God is three times holy, unapproachable, dwells in austere light and glory that no man can look at him and live. That's him. God of majesty and glory beyond imagination. That God of holiness came down here. God so loved, holy God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. God's not just trying to give you some good feelings. God's trying to give you self-sacrificing love that allowed him to remain holy and just and gracious at the same time. The guilty will by no means go unpunished. Let me tell you, the guilty was punished. And he, the guilt was punished upon Jesus in our stead. And when Jesus finished dying, he said, it is finished. And what he meant was that there is no more sacrifice that can be given for sin. This is amazing. There is therefore now 
no condemnation, no judgment from God for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what Paul is saying is that, Lord, I'd love specifically praying. He says, I'd love for you to make a way back to my friends. You open the way, very specifically. And Lord, I pray that you just flood, overflow their hearts with your love because they've got the gospel. They understand the limitless unmeasurability of your love. And let me tell you, you come to know Jesus and that love is yours. He isn't going to shut the flow of that love off. It's not just a matter of getting saved. It is a matter of walking with the God who loves you, who loves you more than you know, wants to give you everything that you need if you just trust him, wants you to experience real love. The meaning of life today wants me to experience this, wants us to be able to be changed by this love, begin to love other people. And as Paul says, you know, as I really understand God's holiness and his love, as my heart is saturated with his love, that becomes more the theme of my life. And I start becoming more attracted to Jesus, more interested in his word rather than my opinion. I start growing and I start becoming more like Christ because Christ is in me through the cross, through his love, and through his working in my life. The opposite of love in the Bible is not hate. It's not hate. You know, you do the opposite game. I'll say a word, you tell me the opposite love, people go, hate. That's not true. Now, hate is opposite of love. Now, the opposite of love in the Bible is self. Because love is out of self. Love is self-sacrifice. You get it? This is the love that God wants in our lives. He sacrificed. We are changed. And as God's love fills our lives, we say, you know, I, could, I, I want to sacrifice. The opposite of love is self. And that's why holiness and love go together. It's moving. Literally, holiness could be defined as moving from self to God. Right? Or... Love could be defined as moving from self to God or self to others because holiness and love are together. It it is holy love. Look, you'll know that you're becoming more holy, not just by the things you know. And we need to know more. We don't want to pit those against each other. Knowledge and love goes together too. You'll know that you're growing in Christ when the attitude of your heart becomes more toward God as opposed to self or more toward others, outward toward others. The great commandment of Jesus in which all the holy law hangs. The law and the prophets all hang on this. What is it? You want to know what holiness looks like? It's the summary of the law. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Don't you see how beautiful that is? His love matters, and his love changes us. I'm going to close with a, an illustration. Um, about it, it comes from a book that I read, finished reading about a month and a half ago. I, I like to read biographies of like you know Christian heroes. So I just finished this biography of A.W. Tozer. Uh, called a, the, the name of the book is A Passion for God, The Spiritual Journey of A.W. Tozer by Lyle Dorset. It's a fairly new biography of Tozer. 
Tozer was a man who really emphasized the holiness of God. You know, like the pursuit of God, um, you know, all his, his, his works are, a lot of his works are about the holiness of God. And I've read them. Um, but I'll tell you what I was most affected about in the biography was not A.W. Tozer's emphasis on the holiness of God. One of his great books is Knowledge of the Holy. I was affected the most by the very well-known way that he neglected his wife and his own kids. I'm sorry, it's in all the biographies. For decades. And look, I am not saying that God didn't use that man and God did use that man. And and, 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 and let me tell you, reading the book actually raised my estimation of A.W. Tozer in different ways. What I see is in A.W. Tozer is what I see in myself and in you, God uses sinners, okay? In fact, I think it'd be a bad biography if you read and you just never saw any struggles uh, before God. And you certainly see them with this glaring lack of love in his nuclear family. But I just cannot help feel, especially in light of what we just read from 1 Thessalonians, of some short circuit in this man's holiness for him to continually treat his family like that. And the text says that this Love that leads to blamelessness and holiness is before the face of the Father and at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his holy ones. Um, you know, let me just be straight with you. Um, I'm not trying to be down on A.W. Tozer here. You know what that made me do? A.W. Tozer knows about the holiness of God more than I do. He's no longer here, knew about it. It makes me want to say, oh, God, oh, God, in prayer, if A.W. Tozer (laughs) knows all about your holiness but doesn't love well at all, who am I? I'm in a fix (laughs) if this is true. For a man who saw your attributes so clearly to struggle so mightily with love in his own home. Oh God, what shall I do? Oh God, you must give it because I don't have it. And none of you in this sanctuary today have that kind of love resident in your hearts either. That is why we pray. That is why we seek this. If you feel this way about your own life and you look at your own life and you say, you know, because I mean recently I've been convicted about a lack of love in my life. And if you see that, then how about this prayer for you? And for me, I can't think of a better one this morning. I want you to close your eyes and we're going to close with this prayer. If you dare to pray it. Lord, may you increase and abound in love 
my brothers and sisters and my own heart for one another and for all so that you may establish our hearts blameless in holiness before God and our, and our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Oh Lord, please do that in our lives just as Paul asked for you to do that in the lives of the new believers at Thessalonica. And oh Lord, would you not only cause us to have your love, experience your love, believe in your gospel, but would you cause it to overflow the banks in our families, even as sinful people cause us to repent from our selfishness, Would you cause it to overflow the banks in this church? And Lord, even to the greater Jackson area, let your love be real here and real through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.